Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question. So what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big and ultimately how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Magdalena Rose is an award-winning TV presenter who got so fascinated with the weather that she ended up studying it and went on to become an award-winning meteorologist. One of the things that I love is how she talks about the forecast is not just about numbers and figures, but how do we make it meaningful? And I tell you what, if you're not interested in the weather beforehand, you will be after this conversation. She also dived deep into what for her was quite a new sea change where she moved out of an established career in Sydney and found herself landed in the beautiful place of Byron Bay. She did so with her now husband, Darren Robertson, from Three Blue Ducks fame, who moved up to establish the restaurant at the farm at the outskirts of Byron. Mags shares the challenges and the opportunities that arose out of this sea change and how when you can't do what you used to do, it actually allows you to think about what other opportunities lay ahead and how you can carve those opportunities for yourself. Mags is a mum to a beautiful boy, Archie, and she shares some of the challenges, but also why it's so key to reach out to your sisterhood in those times, even on the days where you don't feel like talking to anyone, but actually they become your anchor amongst the storm. Obviously, in a busy world, trying to rely on calendars to get people into recording studios to have these conversations can be tough. But true to the nature of this podcast, just if you can't do it doesn't mean you can't have the conversation. So I truly appreciate Mags taking the time while Archie was having a sleep to jump onto Skype so that we could get into a conversation. And whilst the sound quality might not be quite as good as some of the other podcasts, I tell you what, the conversation is absolutely as good as any that we've had. So sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation with Magdalena Rose. Magdalena Rose, welcome. It's fantastic to chat with you. Thanks so much for having me, Ali. Look, I want to start. You've made a massive sea change and a lot of people talk about making a sea change and the, you know, one day I will. Um, But you had an amazing career down in Sydney and then made the decision to move up to Byron. Well, what actually prompted that sea change and that the decision to make that move? Yeah, it's a pretty big one. And um, to be honest, it's one that my partner, Darren, and I didn't think that we'd be making so early in our careers and so early in our lives. You know, it's something that you kind of think they're going to do in retirement. And um, we'd been on holidays to Byron Bay before. And like a lot of people, we'd, you know, been conjuring ways of how can we move up here and how can we make our life, you know, be based in Byron Bay. But for myself in particular, working in, in television, which is metropolitan based, and having a media career that was pretty much centered around life in Sydney, it wasn't possible. Um, but then one day, you know, Daz came home and he said, hey, I've got this massive opportunity to open a restaurant on a farm and in Byron Bay of all places. And, you know, for a chef, that's a massive dream. And I realized that something like that was potentially never going to happen again. So I re- weirdly didn't even think about it. I just kind of 
said, yeah, we've got to do it. Let's go. And I didn't actually think about the consequences it would have on my career, on my social life, on my connection to my family. Which is I probably a nice way that. to do it, isn't it? Like just go, yes, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. Because he said, well, what about you? And I said, don't worry about me. I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it's better not to overthink things and just to go with your gut and, and, and to back yourself. Otherwise, if you have too much to think about, too much time to think about things, um, you'll think of a million other reasons why you shouldn't do something like that. So it was really just a sort of gut decision and, um, and I really wanted to support Darren because I knew that if something like that had come up for me, then I think that he would support me as well. And in many ways, you know, I was sort of willing to take one for the team in this sense. Um, I'll be honest, it was a big career change for me and, and I knew that I'd have to step back from what I was doing, which which was a bit of a big deal too. But I don't know, for some reason it must have been the right timing because I was I was prepared to do it. Brilliant. And what has been some of the surprises of making that change? Gosh, there have been so many. Firstly, being, you know, a city girl through and through, I never realised, you know, how quickly I'd become accustomed to country life. <laughs> I'm like, I go to the local town of Mullumbimby now and I'm like, I think it's hectic when I can't get a park outside, you know, the herbal shop. Or, or, you know, it's just so funny that you can get so used to the country life now. When I come back to the city, I, I truly, I, I see the traffic and, and how busy it is. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to get back home. So I, I've surprised myself at how much I love the slower pace of life and, and the simplicity um, of living in the country and, and the community and having such a deep connection to the food and the farmers and producers, you know, I, I genuinely love it. And even though, I mean, look, we're lucky because we tap into the city a lot and Darren still has his restaurants there and I still work a lot in the city. So I think we have the best of both worlds. And, um, and I think that's what makes it really easy. But the other thing that's really surprised me is the direction um, that my career has taken me in. You know, I, I, I for, for a while there, I must say, I, I really still held on to um, my identity around TV and media. And, and it's still something I really love and I really want to do. But, you know, it's not the same. You know, when you're living in Byron Bay, I can't exactly do the five-day-a-week job that I had back then. So for a while there, I still kept sort of pushing um, and, and traveling back and forth a lot, probably weekly, fulfilling TV commitments and media commitments in, in the city. And then one day um, I fell pregnant and I realized that I, it's not sustainable and maybe I need to just step back and do something else and follow some other passions. And so I decided to go back to the things that I've, I'd always loved doing at home, which is cooking. And I went back to my passion for food, which is something that Darren and I share. And it's probably why we're together. We actually met on a cooking show, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, I just went back to, to to the things that I love and I thought, you know what, I, I may as well use this very rare opportunity to, to to take a step back and to not freak out and to just, just have a go at doing things that I love. And so I started cooking again, sharing my recipes on my blog, sharing my ideas around, you know, lifestyle in the home and nurturing yourself. And I realized that there were thousands of other women that, were, you know, interested in the same thing and, and wanting a piece of that sea change life and wanting to know about how they can simplify their lives as well. And weirdly and organically, it kind of just took off from there and, and it's become a bit of a career path. You know, it's kind of, 
I've managed to combine it with, with, with television as well, but I'm hosting all these food events and um, I'm working on a book at the moment. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. And weirdly, thankfully, the flexibility around this type of career, which is still media-based, but a lot of it's digital as well, has worked really well with being a mother. And now I'm able to juggle the two jobs quite well. Brilliant. So it sounds like that shift in identity has um, has actually opened yeah. up new doors that you hadn't even noticed before. Do you, do you find in that shift in identity, has there been anyone, has there been any kind of pushback from others who have known you who as you were or um, like has that been a, a hard transition to make or has it been pretty seamless? Um, I think at the beginning it was hard because I, you know, I, I'd, I'd moved to this new place and once the honeymoon is over, you know, it, it can be very isolating when you're living in, in regional Australia. Even in a place like Byron Bay that's very connected, I still didn't have my close friends here. I was pregnant, which has its own vulnerabilities around it. I didn't have my family or my mom or anyone and I actually felt quite lost and, and I didn't really have... You know, people people probably look at my career from the outside and think, oh, wow, it's all sort of worked out. And and it has now, but there was a while there when I really struggled to find my purpose and and I didn't know what I was going to do. But, but I think you have to maybe hit that point to really blossom, you know. I think you kind of sometimes have to be in that, in that hole and question yourself and challenge yourself and, and be a little bit scared to, yeah, to take that, that next step that potentially, you know, gives you a career that you never imagined. And so it was definitely challenging and I, and I questioned myself a lot and what I was going to do. And, um, and yeah, some of my mates as well, like a lot of people sort of said, wow, why have you done this, you know? Why have you, why have you gone to the country and I can't believe you left your, your career in TV and whatever. But the thing is, I, I don't believe that anything is permanent you know I think you can have a go at something and if it works out great and if it doesn't I, I, I truly believe that if you're good at what you do and you're good to the people that you've worked with I think you can go back so I, I don't ever think that, that, that and that, that, that's what kind of gives me the security to even tell people like don't be afraid you know because if you're good at what you do they'll want you back again if you decide that whatever you tried didn't work out but there's a good chance that if you're true to yourself and you believe in it and you're passionate about it it will work out one way or another. Yeah, beautiful. It sounds like that uh, you bring the energy to that space and people kind of pick up on that as you carry it along. For sure. Yeah, beautiful. So you've done a whole range of different things in your career, but one of the things that I'm really fascinated in is that you are a meteorologist. After you studied yeah. media and communications, what, what attracted you to the weather? The weather's something that I've always really loved and I actually um, I went to an agricultural high school, so you know, having that education around farming, um, which is so intimately connected with the weather, um, was just was just something that had always sort of interested me. But, you know, when you leave school, you have to sort of choose one career path. And, and I, I love the media, so I went in and worked in the media. But it was interesting because once I started working for um, – I worked at Channel 9 first, but then I started working for the National Geographic Channel – and I started to do all these sort of stories based around science and climate and the weather. And I, and I realized that I actually really love that side of things. And I wanted to, to, to speak from a place of authority and to know what I'm talking about and to have just a better understanding. And, and at that time as well, there was an opportunity to work at the Weather Channel. And so I started working there. And, and, and once I really got into the weather stuff, I, I just I couldn't get enough of it. And, and I guess I kind of 
I really wanted to talk about the weather in such a way that wasn't just about, you know, terms and numbers that didn't mean anything to people. I wanted to have accountability for my forecasts and and I wanted to be able to sort of back myself, you know, instead of just sort of giving random and I guess general terms like isolated showers that where people are like, well, what does that even mean? You know, when is it going to rain and how much will it rain? I have a party, I have a wedding. I kind of thought, that's true. You know, people actually do want a little bit more detail. And I thought if I qualify myself in this, maybe I'll be able to give them a forecast that means a lot more. And so I went and studied it and it was one of the most amazing things I ever did because firstly, I learned about this side of the world or part of the world, you know, and science that I just had never known about before. But also it just made me even more passionate about weather presenting and kind of bridging the gap between, you know, science and the public. I think there's this little bit that's kind of, lost in between where it's really technical um, on the side of the meteorology part but you know people just want to kind of explain to them in a way that yeah means something you know and 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 it really changed my life um, doing that so yeah I mean I, I haven't been weather presenting now for a few years but I really miss it when there's a big storm I think oh I really want to talk about this yeah do you still <laughs> does it still weave into your kind of day because for me a forecast is sticking my head out the window and seeing what that looks like so do you have a routine around that do you know oh, absolutely I mean and the thing is that look the weather is one thing probably apart from food that connects every single person. It's a universal thing that we all think about, that we all need to know every single day, no matter who we are, whether it's the simple things like picking up the kids from school or whether you're a farmer and it's your livelihood. Um, And so actually when I moved here, one of the things that I did when when I spoke about sort of um, going into my passions and whatever, I combined my passion for the weather with my passion for food and lifestyle. So my website is, is basically based around a sunny, humid, cloudy rain. So in my mind, I see the world through a weather lens. So when I think about sunny, it's, you know, so many of our decisions are based around the weather. So the kind of food we want to eat on a sunny day or when it's humid, you kind of want tropical flavors. And when it's cloudy, you want your soups and stews. And so I write about... Um, and, and, I, and I write recipes and I cook around the weather as well. And, and I was sharing this on my website and I found that people kind of really connected to that, you know, rather than sort of just getting a, a random recipe or whatever, they were getting something that really meant something to them for that day. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it tickles our senses and it makes us feel things. It puts us in a, in a mood and and it's still a massive part of my life. So I sort of I usually start my day with a bit of a forecast <laughs> and um, and I share that with Darren because he's a surfer, so he's lucky because he's got his, like, in-house, he's got his in-house meteorologist. Um, and, yeah, look, beyond that, um, sometimes I'll, I'll have a little bit of a look in the afternoon as well, but I don't get as much time anymore with the baby, so... Usually if I get to check in twice a day, that's pretty good. <laughs> when you were <laughs> presenting on the Weather Channel, was there a particular a significant weather-related event or a, car- a coverage that you were involved in that maybe stood out for you? Oh, for sure. And 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 the, the weird thing is that at the time that I, I was at the Weather Channel for four years and there was just so many events that were the, the the biggest events, you know, in Australia's recorded history, just in that short space of time. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will relate to what I'm about to talk about. So we had the Victorian bushfires, we had the Queensland floods, um, the New South Wales floods as well in places like um, Wagga and inland areas. There were those massive dust storms. Um, we had Cyclone Yasi, which was that Category 5 that 
um, slammed into northern Queensland. So we had so many, all the heat waves, of course, in places like South Australia. So there were massive weather events um, that I was part of. The most significant was probably um, the Victorian bushfires. And there's, there, there's a lot around that in the sense that, you know, with something like, well, with most weather events, I think, um, they actually are fairly predictable. And I remember the few days before the Victorian bushfires, there was this really ominous feeling at the Weather Channel amongst most of us um, because we were watching the weather maps and it, it, we were looking at them and thinking, hmm, that, you know, we, we haven't seen this kind of a weather setup in a, in a very, very, very long time. And as the, the, with forecasting, the closer you get to the day, the more accurate it becomes. And so every day that got closer to that day, the, the models were sort of reinforcing themselves that, yes, this is what was going to happen. And it was this horrible feeling of just knowing that something really bad was going to happen and just desperately hoping that it wouldn't. Um, and, 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 yeah, I guess the importance of getting the information right really meant something, you know, that the, the days that we were sort of reporting on this event because it wasn't just a weather forecast, you know, about, how, you know, today will be sunny, you know, or you, there might be some rain, bring your umbrella. These were people's lives. And, and, and just, yeah, just still thinking about it now, um, it was a really, really, yeah, really significant time. And I think it highlights the importance of, of reporting on these things with, with as much accuracy and authority as you can. And you're right, they're, they're the moments that connect us all, whether we were in the area or not, we, we feel mm. a part of that experience. So imagine being at the forefront of that. You see, um, you know, humanity's devastation in those as well as humanity connecting together. So, yeah, really powerful. <sighs> Oh, definitely. You know, and, and obviously with a lot of these events, I was reporting on that from the studio because I was forecasting, but then there were other events like the floods where I was reporting on the ground. And that's, you know, when you, when you come face to face with um, just the effect of, of these sorts of weather events, but then also, yeah, people pulling together, it's absolutely amazing. And so I was utterly consumed, you know, by the weather at the time that I was reporting there. And I don't know, you know, hopefully, hopefully I'll have an opportunity to go back to it. I don't, you know, the weather's never going to go away. <laughs> so maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe I'll go back to it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In between the surf reports for the sound of it. <laughs> so yeah, obviously you were saying you, you've shifted your kind of career identity and there's a huge um, opening and opportunity coming there, but you've also shifted your identity and becoming a mum to your beautiful boy, Archie. How has being yeah. a mum changed what's important to you? Oh, it, it has changed everything. And I've heard so many mothers um, talk about this before, but it didn't really, you know, resonate until I actually had Archie. But it, it has absolutely changed my world. And he is my, you know, he and, and, and my family are, are my top priority. And so juggling, you know, work around around everything is, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't find it, it's, it's challenging, of course, to do a little bit of everything, but I've made it quite clear to myself that, you know, being a mum is, is, is my priority. And so I kind of try to work my work around that. And I think it makes saying no a lot easier too. You know, I used to sort of um, work myself to the ground. Um, but now I know that I need to be, I need to be present for him and I need to be healthy for him. So I think I've, I've prioritized a lot better and I'm a much more efficient than what I used to be. And in that, I think one of the things that can happen is that, um, we can lose sight of looking after ourselves and, and you often, you, 
talked very beautifully about the importance of how we need to nourish ourselves. How, how have you in the last year or so, I guess, looked after yourself? What, are, what have been some of your strategies? You know what, this is hugely important and, and this is something that I'm actually really passionate about and, and passionate about sort of sharing with other women and, and, and keeping that conversation going because I know myself, you know, even though becoming a mother has been the most incredible experience and, and something that, that feels like it's, that it's come very naturally to me, it still has been an enormous challenge. And I, and like, I struggle on a daily basis, not only with the, you know, with the work and, and family juggle, but also with just coming to terms with, you know, the new you, your new body, um, whether you, I don't know, whether you uh, are as valued as you used to be, even though, you know, you're not sort of in the workforce where I guess the value of what you do is a lot bit more obvious. You know, you're kind of, you're, you're paid for your job and you're working with other colleagues and you're, you're speaking to adults and you're solving problems and, and people are, you know, congratulating you on, on a job well done. But that doesn't happen, you know, in the home. And it can be very isolating and it can be very lonely, especially for women who are used to having a career. So, I think that shift um, can be a, a struggle for a lot of women. And then on top of that, um, I think, you know, after labor and after this amazing period of sort of fertility of being pregnant, you have the baby and then you're, you're, you're left with this, literally this empty hole, you know, and you're incredibly depleted. And, and, and it's interesting because in our modern society, a lot of focus is on the woman when she's pregnant, but as soon as you have the baby, all the focus shifts to the baby as it should, but the, the, the mother is completely forgotten in a way. And at a time when probably she needs to be supported most, she's pretty much going it alone, totally depleted. And so I think it's really important to sort of step back and go, you know what, we really need to nourish ourselves. To be a good mum and and to be a happy mum, there needs to be a a support network, you know. I think in in some tribal societies this is going on and I know that in China they have, um, this is actually interesting, somebody told me about this, they've got these confinement women. So basically the new mother kind of bunkers down for at least 30 days or up to three months and they have these confinement women that cook them really nourishing meals, help them with the baby, help them clean, just to give her that chance to recover. But, you know, in our modern society, we're just expected to kind of bounce back, go back to work. There's all this pressure of, you know, doing post-baby workouts and exercise and stuff that mothers shouldn't even really be thinking about. So I guess my philosophy and, and, and what I do for myself is that firstly, I, you know, I really try and nourish myself with good food and I know that it can be very overwhelming um, at the beginning. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and to ask your friends to bring you a meal because people are probably more than happy to do it. They just don't know. Um, and to get it, to rally your family around you. And then once you sort of recover a little bit, it, to me, it's not about exercise. In fact, I haven't exercised at all since having the baby and it's almost been a year. But for me, it's about activity, you know, maybe going out for a walk, maybe catching up with friends, just getting out and doing something but it's for me it's not about exercise because your body is so drained that's kind of not the priority you know it's just more about feeling good so it might be yoga or pilates or like i guess if it's something you've always done and you want to go for a run great but it shouldn't be like a pressure you know that you need to look a certain way after you have a baby but i mean i i just think that there's too much pressure on women to do that and also having purpose and that doesn't mean you have to go back to work but 
if you, and your, your purpose might be that that you're being a mother and you're not just a mother. Like that is enough, you know. It's enough to be a mum. It's actually everything. Um, but your purpose might be to do something else. Maybe you want to take up a hobby or, or perhaps you want to dabble in a little bit of work. So I think that often helps um, with self-esteem as well. So for me, yeah, it's about sort of getting in nature when I can, um, nourishing myself um, with good food. And now I've started to do um, restorative yoga as well, mainly for my mind, actually. Um, and to And to just... Keep those conversations flowing with other women. I think it's, you know, I, I've always been a girl's girl and I love my group of girlfriends and I love talking about everything from pregnancy to motherhood to just swapping recipes to finding out who's got a really good brow artist or, you know, like I've always, I love that. I love that kind of tribe. And, and so I sort of try and surround myself and cultivate a bit of a tribe because I think we're stronger when we're supportive of each other, you know, when, when it's not competitive and when it's not judgmental, I think we're so much stronger as women when we sort of band together. So I think that's a big one too. I think it's such a key part of the conversation to keep doing it. How do you, how do you reach out on the days where you don't feel like talking to anyone? You know, those, those sisters and, uh, you know, we talk about our kind of sister wives and that sisterhood that support us. And that can be great on the days we're feeling great. Um, but how have you done that in terms of reaching out if, if you're feeling a bit under the weather? Oh, and and that's the thing, you know, there are so many days when it's just, you know, the, the idea of catching up with other women is supposed to be something that's like a, a great circuit breaker and it's meant to be something that makes you feel good. But there are days when the idea of doing that, it seems like nothing worse, you know, than having to get your clothes on and get the baby ready and get in the car and you're not in the mood and you might be feeling a little bit down. So, I mean, for me, it's just, I I guess I just kind of, embrace that feeling you know and go you know what I don't feel great today and that's cool I'm going to stay at home and I'm not going to pressure myself to have to you know put on a put on a smile and pretend that everything's okay I just kind of I allow myself to have those days and I sort of accept them as being normal I don't think I don't think everybody can be happy and on all of the time you know especially um with motherhood, I'm, I'm exhausted. And the, and the truth is I haven't had a proper night's sleep in at least a year. Like my baby doesn't sleep through. Um, God, please, one day. Yeah, it'll but, happen. You know, it will I'm, happen. Sorry? It will happen eventually. Oh, honestly, <laughs> I'm praying for this. So, you know, some, the, the nights when he's up like four times and I just think, oh, my God, there's no way. I can't do anything today. I just keep the PJs on and we just hang at home, you know, and – I try not to put the pressure on myself. So, I mean, I think that's all you can do, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Not putting those expectations on ourselves. Do you think social media plays an impact on that? Yes, massive. It's, you know, it's this double-edged sword. I think I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I love it because of the connection you make with people and it is inspirational and and there's a lot of laughs and, and, you know, it, it, a lot of people get real on it too, and so there. Is, and especially, you know, when you're a mum, sometimes it can be really isolating. Like it can be days when you don't even get out of the house, um, or you know, you, well, you don't wash your hair for goodness knows how long. And so sometimes, you know, the only connection that you have to other people is this little thing that you hold in your hand. And so I think on that level, and especially for me, I I love connecting with other women on social media, and I love sharing experiences and, and being real. But there's a real 
side to it that is the complete opposite, you know, which is where all of our lives are heavily filtered and there are unrealistic expectations. And the thing to know is that, you know, people, a lot of us are only showing the good side, even myself, you know, I want people to know that I've, I share beautiful photos that I hope are inspiring, but I want people to know that my life isn't always perfect. And I don't, most of the time, in fact, I don't look great. I don't, you know, I'm not always feeling on top of the world. I don't have it all together. It's, it's just not how it is. And I think it's important to know that no one's is, you know. I know a lot of people um, on, on social media that, that have these amazing lives and they say this to me as well. They're like, my life isn't perfect either. So I think it's, it's about knowing that we're only getting a portion of the story and I think it's worth kind of switching off from it too sometimes, you know. I think it can be all-consuming, but there's something to be said for just giving yourself, you know, a couple of times a day where you kind of tune into it all and then just letting go and, and living in the present. Yeah, and as you say, getting to the point of recognising that even those people we hold up in high regard, that that they're, they're going through the, the doubts, the, the fears, the concerns and all of that as well. The power of saying me too is where we get to truly connect. Yeah. Oh, I promise, I can promise everybody that like, my life is definitely not perfect, and of course, you know, I, I, like everybody else, I have my doubts and I have my fears, and I have really bad days, and I haven't got it all together, and I make mistakes, and one, like we're all the same in the end, and we really, really are. That's that, and that's the beautiful thing about sharing this is that you realise that we're actually all the same. So true, Mags. Look, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. I want to finish up by asking you a question. What does it mean to you to live a standout life? I think it's, um, I think it's about being true to yourself and, and, and true to other people. And I think that if you're true to yourself in terms of what you really want to do and the person that you really want to be, um, then, you know, then I think you can achieve anything. And we don't have to fall into a, a certain box of what, you know, society expects us to be or, or what we think we're only capable of. You really are capable of anything that you want to do. Um, and so I think just it, it's about backing yourself and, and about being a good person to other people as well because I find that when if, every, if everybody kind of takes that philosophy, then we all end up shining and, and, and supporting each other. So for me, uh, the way of standing out is, yeah, it's about being true to myself and about being honest to other people and, yeah, just about being the best person that I can be, not just in my career but in my personal life as well. Absolutely beautiful. Look, it's been such a delight to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, pleasure, Ali. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real-world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.